think every parent has that wake-up moment where they look at their child and see themselves reflected back. And that's some time for serious introspection and repentance. Welcome to Truth, Love, Parent, where we use God's Word to become intentional, premeditated parents. Here's your host, A.M. Brewster. Have you ever been sideswiped by a car because you didn't check your blind spots? You know, the hardest part about not being able to see things, you don't know what you're supposed to be seeing. The same is true, I found, in parenting. Even when we're at our parenting best, ambassadors for God seeking only His glory, sometimes we just miss things because we never even thought to think about it. And unfortunately, as the saying goes, we don't know what we don't know. But there is hope uh, for these parental blind spots. There is an answer. Do you remember what happened the first time you sat behind the wheel of a car? Most likely, your parent or the driver's ed instructor introduced you to the driver's seat, and among other things, they told you about those pesky little things called blind spots. You didn't even know they existed, but whether you understood it then or not, you would be glad that you learned about them. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to discuss some blind spots that show up in our parenting. And here to discuss this issue is Christian parent and author Tim Challies. We share many of his parenting articles on TLP's Facebook page, but you can find his complete collection of articles on every facet of the Christian experience at challies.com. Of course, I'll include a link in the description. Uh, thank you very much, Tim, for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm doing great, and thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Well, before we jump into the discussion, I just need to point out three things uh, to my listeners that Tim and I have in common. The first is our stunning good looks. Uh, I, I, obviously, I'm, I'm joking here. I mean, Tim's a great-looking guy and all, but we ran a Facebook ad uh, with uh, Tim's image on it, and a number of the listeners who know me commented on the similarities. I know you're, you, you can't tell because you've never seen me before, uh, but maybe I should post a side-by-side comparison. Uh, but I, I'm not certain if the world can handle all of that ruddy good looks. So Yeah, I usually get compared to Edward Snowden. I don't know about you. Uh, you know, I've never gotten that. I think maybe I'm a little pudgier than you are, but uh, yeah, I can, yeah, can, can kind of see that. The second thing we have in common is our love for end times Amish vampire fiction. That's right. You heard it. End times Amish vampire fiction. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was in 2009 that you wrote an, a humorous article called The Ultimate Christian Novel. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, I have to ask, what was like, what was the motivation, the inspiration for that? I think it was just a lot of the silly novels I was seeing in the mainstream market and then being imitated in the Christian market. So I actually dreamed up an Amish vampire end times novel. <laughs> yes. That sort of brought all three together. And believe it or not, was actually offered a contract to write the book. There were a couple of publishers who were actually interested in doing it, obviously as a spoof, but just thinking it would be fun and it would sell well. But I figured I had better things to do with my time. Oh, I can see why. I mean, it was it was hilarious. I I've introduced so many people to that. I I, I think maybe you should probably thank me for part of your your reader base anyway, because well, thank you. I I just I've shown it to tons of people. Well, good. And then the uh, the last thing I think, well, not the last thing actually. There's probably there's many more. Whether it be our love for God and family or uh, ministering to the body of Christ, really, I think one of the last similarities I really want to focus in on is this. Um, a lot of Christian parenting blogs and podcasts, a lot of speakers and preachers have allowed uh, secular failure philosophies to inform their advice. I've listened to many things. I've read a lot of things. And it sounds good up to a point until all of a sudden, you know, traditionalism or psychology or a number of other factors slip in under the radar that aren't biblically informed. And I, what I really appreciate about Tim is that uh, you are 
uh, you're comfortable taking a stand against culture when there's truth at stake. And that's extremely valuable and, and necessary in our in today's climate and culture. Yeah, well, thanks. I, and I totally agree. There's an amazing amount of junk that's coasting into the Christian world and often comes by way of the big books out there or um, non-biblical psychology or whatever it is. So there's always these, these ideas pressing in. And yet what's remarkable is, remarkable is how many kids still turn up so good. Uh, at least, you know, they turn out so well. So God's grace is is so amazing that I think there's great hope for us, whether Christian parents or just looking at parents around us who aren't believers. God has amazing ways of working beyond our abilities, beyond what we actually think we know or know well. And that's so true because I know I I don't don't know about you, uh, but for me, you know, if if my parent not my my children's ability to turn out well was completely dependent upon my parenting, um, they would be in a world of hurt. That's without Christ, without what He does, we're all in trouble. Now you have um, is you have three children? Is that correct? I do. Yeah, I've got a son who's seventeen. I've got a daughter who's fourteen, and a daughter who's ten. All right, great. So a lot of a, a lot of experience being brought to this discussion. I have a uh, son who's ten. And my daughter is seven. And uh, I think that any parent who's being honest realizes that um, the, the good things, the, the amazing things that are happening in their child's lives, transforming them, it really is the power of God. Uh, we bring a lot of great stuff to the table. Obviously, God uses us in many ways. Um, but those things that kind of make us cringe are the things that uh, probably our children uh, resemble us the most in. Have you found that to be true? Yeah, absolutely. I think every parent has that wake up moment where they look at their child and see themselves reflected back. And that's some time for serious introspection and repentance and hopefully changing course a little bit because you do, you see your kid freak out and throw something and you think, I know exactly where he got that from or, or your child doing a silent treatment or going and slamming a door and sulking behind the door for a while. And you realize a lot of this is learned behavior. My son walks around the house when he talks on the phone, and I'm sure that's because he somehow saw me do it. And, you know, they imitate us in the good, the bad, and they doesn't really matter. That's very true. Well, I, I think um, uh, one of the things that we want to focus on today is this idea of parental blind spots. And uh, I mentioned it in the introduction, how it's so easy for us to um, just not be aware of these parenting traps, uh, in part because, well, we just don't see them. And I think a good example of this is your article, uh, Why My Family Doesn't Do Sleepovers. Um, I know for a while there, uh, that was your most viral article. Is that still true now? Yeah, by far, far, far. It's the most popular thing I've ever written. I would say, I think it's been read maybe over 8 million times now, where the, its next closest wow. would be in the hundreds of thousands, not even at a million. Oh, wow. Well, uh, it resonated with me, as obviously did lots of people, uh, I think in a u- unique way, maybe, maybe not. Um, being a family counselor and working at a home for at-risk teens, I have some personal unique insight into the, the darker side of sleepovers, some of the very, very dark sides of sleepovers. And I was just uh, really impressed that you dealt with it in the way that you did, because I think this is a perfect example of a very specific parental blind spot. It's, it's considered a normal culturally acceptable activity that seems to be uh, an expected almost rite of passage. But you didn't bow to that idea, and I'm, I'm curious why. Yeah, I'd say what's considered normal is to allow your kids to do sleepovers. What's considered abnormal is to raise any flags at all. And I think that's mostly something that's bound to North America. As I've traveled a little bit and spoken to people, it seems less common elsewhere. 
Um, but we faced a lot, just personally, we made that decision in our family and that was based on having seen things like I think you're referring to where we see, we had, um, just growing up, saw lots of opportunity, um, for children to be harmed. We saw children who had been harmed that way. Uh, as I mentioned in the article, we knew a chief of police who had told us never allow your kids to do sleepovers. We collected all that data and said, you know what, the, the benefit they would get from it just doesn't outweigh the risk. Um, and then, so we made that decision and we faced a lot of heat from our, the, the parents of our children's friends, um, who, who took it personally or who would blab to our kids about how overprotective we were and things like that. So it was a difficult decision to make and it's been a difficult one to hold to, but we really, really believe that for us with our situation, it was, uh, well within our rights to do. And we thought it would be wise and still hold to that. Is it fair to assume that you've gotten some negative heat from uh, some of those 8 million uh, readers? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, nothing too inflammatory, but a lot of people saying we're too overprotective or that it, it is a rite of passage, that our children need to learn to face those situations. And, you know, there's something absurd about suggesting that if a teenage boy is approaching a 10-year-old girl at night, that that's a growth opportunity for her to to grow up by telling them to get lost or something. There's some risks that just aren't worth taking and you don't put your child in those risky situations so that they can grow through them. So, you know, a lot of it was of that nature. Um, I, I also received so many emails from people saying, thank you because I was molested at a sleepover. Thank you. Just found out my child had been molested at a sleepover or even just the, you know what sleepovers were, where we started to experiment. I, I wasn't molested, but I, experimented or, you know, we would do things we shouldn't have done. So I've gotten lots and lots of positive feedback at well, as well. So anecdotally, I think there's, there's a strong case to be made. Yeah. I think my personal reaction, uh, just as a, a father of two, and then obviously being mean, remembering what I was like when I was a kid, um, I think my response was, uh, similar and not in the, not to the degree that, um, there have been molestation or anything like that, but it definitely had thrown open doors, doors of great temptation, many, uh, many of which I succumbed to, uh, whether it was uh, friends and I looking at inappropriate magazines or watching inappropriate uh, movies or uh, just the, the plethora of things that can happen um, and the temptations when there aren't any mature uh, loving adults around. Yeah. And so there was that from my side that I saw. Um, but there was also just kind of this, this resonation. It's funny knowing that having experienced that as a child, I still was kind of left with, wow, you know, I, that's so right. I don't know why I never thought of that. And I, I kind of imagine that a number of your readers probably responded that way. They weren't necessarily, um, they wouldn't have espoused those ideas about sleepovers beforehand. Uh, when they read it, they obviously weren't against it, but they probably just responded with, I never looked at it that way. Right. And I think this is why it's helpful to cue this up as you have under the, the heading of blind spots, because we all approach parenting through our own experience, right? We, we look at it and say, well, my experience was this, therefore I will or will not do that. Now, I was never uh, abused or molested at a sleepover. I, like you, did some dumb things at sleepovers. Um, as far as I know, uh, my wife had no really negative experiences and sleepovers, but we had heard and we had seen and we had encountered. So our assumption moving in was let's talk about this and let's lean away from doing it. Um, but that was based on our assumption. So if, if your experiences with sleepovers have only ever been good, 
then I think it would be wise to, to read an article like that one, to think widely and to say, okay, maybe this is one of our blind spots that we should address. And I'm not saying we can make a strong biblical case, thou must not do sleepovers. <laughs> That's not my point here. I think it's something that every family has to discuss and decide what's best for them, what's best for their children. And, and there's lots of freedom here. If the Bible doesn't speak to it clearly, we're able to do what we think is the wisest course of action. And then just to put the boundaries on, they will only sleep over in these situations or in these homes or that kind of thing. But what we found is by taking it off the table altogether, we don't have to make individual exceptions. So we don't have this parent coming and saying, hey, you let her sleep over at that child's house, why not at ours? We just take it all yeah. off. And I found that very, very helpful. Yeah. So in your in your ministry, you have, um, you've, you've uh, pastored a church, is that correct? Mm-hmm, yeah. Okay. Uh, you've done that. You've, uh, you've parented, you have, uh, all of the research and the experience that's gone into your writing. You've counseled individuals and, uh, I'm curious what other, uh, parental blind spots have you encountered that you believe that we should really give some more thought to, because you know what, maybe our past experiences, that thing wasn't an issue for us personally. Um, but we need to be introduced to the fact that it can be, and it has been an issue for many other people, and we as parents need to be uh, paying attention. Yeah, I think they vary so much from person to person that, and family to family. I think there's a lot of value in asking others, which can be the hardest thing to do, but to ask other people, what are you seeing in my parenting? Where do you think I may have a blind spot? Because it could be so, so different. It, it's the kind of thing where we know we have them. We must, right? We're not perfect. We're not God the Father here. So we've got parental blind spots. Um, the, the question isn't, do we have them, but where are they? And we need others to help us see them generally. So God places us in local churches. He gives us friends. He gives us relationships. What better place to, to go to someone and say, can you think about this? Can you pray about this? Come back to me and just tell me, is there anything? And then humbly to, to take that. And they may say, you know what, you over-disciplined. They may say, you know what, you under-disciplined. They may say, I don't think you're training your kids to know the Lord well enough. They may say, you're spending way too much time training your kids, not letting them have fun and explore other things. You know, it could be could be all over the place. But I don't know how you address blind spots generally without asking for outside input, either through God's Word, through prayer, but why not ask your local church? Ask a trusted friend or a pastor. It definitely speaks to uh, the passages in, in, in Proverbs in particular that say there's wisdom in multitude of counselors. We've got to surround yeah. ourselves with the people who can um, speak truth into our lives. Yeah, and wouldn't you hate it if something happened and everybody said, yeah, I knew his kids would turn out that way. And yet you have been in the same church as them for 20 years, and they always just felt, I can't tell him that. He's doing this so wrong. We all see it, but we're not going to tell him. You know, his kids are completely wild. He doesn't seem to notice. Or his kids are completely deceptive but they've deceived him. If you know that about someone, then out of love, shouldn't you tell them? That, that would be so, so hard to go to a parent and, and speak about their children like that. And yet far better to, to risk a friendship and at least to address it than to risk the, the lives or souls of children. So perhaps we could say that maybe one of the big parental blind spots in our culture is the fact that uh, just like we tend to have these maverick loner Christians, we also have maverick loner families where parenting is my business, not yours. I'll take care of my kids. You take care of your kids. And um, maybe yeah. uh, we're missing the fact that to be Christ-honoring parents, we've got to be open and vulnerable enough to have the relationships with people where they see our parenting. They really 
they know what we're doing and uh, we have the relationships whereby they can they can come to us honestly and say, hey, uh, this is what we're seeing. Right. So, so much of that just comes down to basic humility, right? Understanding I don't have all the answers. I am an inadequate parent. I can't do this on my own. I need help. I need other eyes on me. That's It's only humility that can really get you there. So, being a humble person who's willing to to risk asking for help, uh, knowing that what you hear may be very, very hard to hear, very painful. Yep. Uh, and that's exactly where Christ started in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, we had to realize that we are poor in spirit. We are spiritually destitute. We have nothing to offer. Um, and that brings us to a place oftentimes of mourning. I'm certain that you have looked at your parenting as I have mine and said, uh, dear God, I am failing at this. I am not doing this as well as I dreamed I would when I was in college. And then only then do we slip into that humility. And then once we go to Christ and say, I can't do this, go to others and say, I need your help. That's where that hungering and thirsting after righteousness kicks in, which I think might, um, it might be fair to say that that's kind of lacking in some of our parenting. Parenting really isn't a, a righteousness thing. It's a logistical thing. It's a facilitation thing. Um, and then we, uh, then we come to a place like what you're exper- um, talking about where uh, we realize, I don't have this together, and we see the in- inherently biblical nature of it, and we realize, man, I need to be hungering after God, God's will in my parenting. Yeah, exactly so. I'm right with you there. Awesome. Well, um, I think, I think like in, for example, in my ministry, there are some things that I have found, um, and not too specific, just with the people I'm working with now. I've been, I've been in a number of uh, two ministries actually over the past uh, decade, and I've found that there are some um, some key areas that tend to, I think, stereotypically, end up being blind spots. And I'd like to get some of your feedback on this. Um, one of the ones that I have found, uh, and this was true in my life when I was in high school, is the uh, the significant influence of friendships, uh, children's friendships. Now, I know that we know our kids um, are having friendships, and then we all know there's the good friends and the bad friends. But a personal anecdote from my uh, life was that uh, there was a, a boy that my parents wanted me to spend more time with, uh, specifically to be a good influence. Uh, you know, my parents, unfortunately, uh, in many ways, wrongfully uh, considered me to be more mature and to be able to help this boy do the same. Unfortunately, what ended up happening uh, was that my relationship with him, and me being weak as I was, um, he uh, he encouraged me in the wrong things, and I gave in. You know, it's it's that that concept of you know, if you are spiritual, help such a one, help restore them, but be careful lest you also get pulled into the same stuff they're doing. So I think oftentimes, um, especially in this world of um, the internet and the fact that our kids can be texting each other and FaceTiming each other and messaging each other and and interacting on apps and whatnot, we really don't know who our kids' friends are. We really don't know what influences they're under. And I think that ends up being one of these blind spots because in America, uh, really in anywhere in the world, you know, kids are supposed to have friends, you know, they're supposed to go out and play. And I I don't know that uh, parents as a whole are really... um, being as careful as we all should be in knowing who our kids' friends are and what they're doing when they're together. Sure. Yeah, and I agree with that. Um, I think a lot of parenting comes down to that tension between doing what's helpful to your children, yet also allowing your children to begin to make their own way through life. So, And the trouble is, when children are six years old, there's not a lot of six-year-old peers who are really going to lead them into too much trouble, right? So, it's more as they get into their teens, as they progress through their teens, that those bad friends can have mm-hmm. a much badder influence, <laughs> right? 
But at that time, you're also wanting your children to start to make their own way. And, um, you know, our temptation as parents is to try and guard our children against every possible mistake and every possible form of suffering. And yet sometimes our children just need to make mistakes or full out sin, and we need to let them grapple with the consequences of it. So, um, you know, we can't control them in every way. So I do find that hard. How do you determine uh, who their friends will be? I don't know that you can force those friendships mm-hmm. the way you'd like. I think most of us had friendships like that when we were a kid and where our parents wanted it more than we did. I mean, our parents all planned out our marriages too, right? <laughs> and, um, at least when they were young, wouldn't, wouldn't that be sweet? And those never work out either. So, so yeah, I, I think there's definitely value in knowing who your children's friends are and trying to understand how the children are, uh, how those kids are influencing your own. But uh, I also don't want to be fatalistic and throw up my hands. And yet somewhere in there, there's a, there's a tricky balance. Yep. And I think you hit on it. I think it, it's not protecting the kids. It's not sheltering them. It's really preparing them. It's giving them the information they need yeah. uh, to go into those situations where th- we are going to encounter sin in the world. Uh, but hopefully we've been prepared um, and our faith in Christ and our dependence upon his word is uh, strong enough that in that moment we will respond the right way, which what's exactly the issue in in my life. I was not mature enough and I needed to grow some more so that I could respond better. So whether I think, you know, it's entertainment or smartphones or even just um, being able to answer the failure philosophies that the world throws at us, I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that we as parents just need to realize that our children aren't born uh, inherently knowledgeable of these things, able to answer and give an answer uh, for the things they encounter. And we need to be proactive in, in preparing them for every little area that can come up because, you know, they haven't experienced it before. Right. Yep. Well, awesome. I appreciate that. Thank you so much uh, for sharing your insight on that, uh, specifically the, the sleepovers and the the amazing advice about um, connecting with people in your church, people who know you, and being able to have open relationships with them where they can speak truth into your life and help you determine what your specific parental blind spots are. Uh, that was uh, amazing advice, and I really appreciate uh, that, and I appreciate the time you've taken today. Yeah, you're welcome. I hope all of you will join us next time when Tim will be back with us answering some questions that you have submitted. I'm really looking forward to hearing his answers to your questions. They were fantastic questions. I also encourage you to like and follow Tim on Facebook and Twitter and swing by chalice.com. You can find all of his links in our description. And please, of course, like and follow TLP on Facebook and me on Twitter at AM Brewster. Listen, blind spots are real. But as long as someone can show us what they are, we can do the work to address them biblically because God's word has everything we need for life and godliness. Truth, Love, Parent is part of the Evermind Ministries family and is dedicated to helping you become an intentional, premeditated parent. Join us next time as we search God's word for the truth your family needs today.